Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 205 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 23rd, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're counting down towards National Letter of Intent Day. We're going to have a full show talking about USC recruiting tomorrow. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about the USC football team. Going forward, we've got a lot of questions from all of you out there. We'll even mention basketball a little bit. USC 0-7 in conference in Pac-12 play for basketball, so that's not so good. So we're going to talk about that with Dan Weber coming up in the next segment. We have Coach Harvey Hyde on first. And if you have any questions or comments for us, we love to hear from you. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us, 206-888-6755, and leave us a brief voicemail. We'll play it on the air. We also added a new feature. You can leave a voicemail right on your computer if you go to peristylepodcast.com. That's the page where we have the we list the podcast every week. On the left side of the page, there's a little bar you can click on, and if you have a microphone on your your computer, your laptop, or whatever, you can just leave a voicemail right there on your computer. So you don't even have to call in. You just click on your computer, say, "Hey, Coach Harvey Hyde, Ryan, what's up? Here's my question." Boom, you're done. So you can leave some out. So we'd love for some people to try that out. We just added that this week. So if you get a chance, please try that feature out. We'd love to get some more voicemails from you. If you don't want to give us a call, you can do it right there on your computer. And as I mentioned, we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Coach is on with us now on the line from a secret location somewhere in Pasadena. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Buddy, I'm doing great. It's raining today. It's raining on Monday. So uh, we're going to get a little bit of rain here, which is uh, needed. And, of course, it gives us an opportunity to start our countdown for signing day, which is February the 1st, which is an, uh, an exciting day for parents and kids and universities and so on. It, it's just a, a an exciting day. Ryan, I tell you what, I used to love to recruit more than I loved to play the season. I really <laughs> did. I really did, but I loved to get in the homes, and I knew that if we had a great year of recruiting, the season might be pretty good, too, or the season's. So uh, I know all coaches are looking at that, and and real serious, hard-nosed football fans follow all the discussions you and Gerald have, and Dan and everybody, and uh, it's just exciting to see what young people will do on February the first. And I tell you, it certainly makes a great day for everyone. Yeah, it's a, it's our busiest time of the year. People talk about the season. This is leading up to signing day is when we're the most busy. J- you know, January is a busier month than December, if you can believe that. Um, so let's uh, let's uh, want to thank our sponsor before we get going. SCTickets.com. If you need tickets, not just in Southern California, but wherever you are in the country, Southern California tickets—they've been kind enough to sponsor us for I think it's 205 episodes now. So one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything, please give them a call or check them out on the website SCTickets.com. Curtis over there will hook you up. Mention Coach Harvey Hyde, and he'll take care of you. And Coach, yeah, exciting day just around the corner uh, with Lane Kiffin. Doing a good job with the kind of one hand tied behind his back, all these scholarships. We're going to get into a lot of the details tomorrow, but should be a pretty crazy signing day. It should be, and I'll tell you, there is uh, 
this this signing date is the first one when you're limited to 15. So really, you know, the way I used to look at recruiting, the difference between recruiting in college and the NFL is I can get 25 on a normal year or somewhat that number, first-round draft choices, or I can just get one, two, or three first-round draft choices. In the NFL, you only get one. So now... USC is in a situation where they have to get or feel they should get 15 first-round draft choices, but they cannot make a mistake. In the past, you could forecast a kid. You could say, this kid will grow into his body, or this kid has the potential. After a redshirt year, he'll be a player or be a great backup player for us. Now USC is in a position where there isn't backups. There isn't any type of redshirt year. You've got to be ready to play when your number is called and this is why it's so exciting for me as far as following the process that USC is going through to make sure that this happens and so far I've been very impressed the way Lane Kiffin and his staff has put together the approach as far as opening the scholarships that will be available to have these young student athletes come in and what he's done in the past, last year, as far as having a great recruiting year, too, and trying to redshirt red, uh, red that class, a lot of players redshirted last year, so that you get your numbers up to where you do have 25 uh, normal size class coming in for three years. So it's going to be really uh, great to see what happens, and uh, I know all of our listeners are excited as you are, so uh, we only have a few more days to, to 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 watch and get ready for this and discuss it. Yeah, it's good. It's just around the corner. We'll have a, a new show again next week, and then we're going to be leading right up towards signing day. And I'm going to be actually on with you, Coach, on your show right after signing day. You are on February the 2nd. We'd love everybody to listen to us. I do a show in Las Vegas on AM 1400. You can pick it up by just going into kshp.com. And then to hit programming, and up in the right-hand corner, there's a button that says listen. And you can punch that listen, and you'll be able to listen to us from 7 to 8 p.m. on February the 2nd. And we'll go over all the athletes and the signings and what what our thoughts are. Ryan, I really appreciate you being on that show, too. Oh, you come on with me every week. I love to go on with you, Coach. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I know there's a lot of Trojans out there in Las Vegas, and people can listen from all over the country right online, like you said. So that's a good thing. Um, well, let's get into some of these questions, Coach. And first thing, I wanted to thank Guy. Uh, our buddy Guy tried to leave a question with a new voicemail feature on the computer. I guess he had some technical problems, but um, you just kind of click on that little tab there, and it'll a little microphone thing should pop up, and you you know say start speaking, and you can speak, and then uh, save it to to send it off to us. So hopefully, there's no problems. If you have any issues, you can always email us podcast at uscfootball.com, and I can take care of it. But his question was about the defensive line depth. Um, you know, there's all this talk about Ellis MacArthur. We've we've gone over that ad nauseum. He's now committed to UCLA. Uh, you know, USC still in for a guy like Aziz Shitu could still bring in a, a stud defensive tackle. But there are a bunch of guys already, like you said, that are redshirted. Uh, you know, and and guy wanted to know if you're concerned about the depth with, you know, George Uko and J.R. Tavai having played last year, and then guys like um, you know Christian Hayward and Antoine Woods who were freshmen last year and redshirted. Four guys there for that rotation. Are you worried about the depth at all? Guy wanted to know. I am because uh, you really only have one proven player that has really played in and really uh, surfaced as a great player. I think Uko is going to be a first-round draft choice. Uh, 
There's no question in my mind. He's quick and big. And I think they may be better at that position with him this coming year because of his experience and the way he runs to the football and he's a big kid, too. I really think he's going to be a great player. Now, who the second tackle is going to be, or nose guard, is the question mark. But you have to be really strong inside to to control uh, offensive football players today. You've got to have push. If you watch the championship games this past weekend, you see Smith at San Francisco. You see Will Fork at, at uh, New England. You see the guys playing inside that are so physical and strong that they just push and power rush you back into the backfield and take gaps where people can't cut off your, your penetration. So it's so important you get these type of players to play inside. Now, as far as Hayward is concerned and as far as Woods is concerned, you know, I really can't make a statement yet on how good they really are because I really haven't seen them in a competitive situation as far as against good players. Uh, I hope they are the caliber to uh, mature and become uh, uh, the type of players that can play immediately next year. They have to. You have to have rotations in the defensive line and so on, especially against these speed-up offenses that USC has seen all the time. So you've got to really have great defensive tackles. Uh, currently right now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, there isn't really one that has verbally committed so basically, these kids are going to have to get it done, and uh, that's up to uh, Coach Ed Orgeron to develop them and push them and pound on them and do whatever's necessary to become the type of players that you have to have in order to have a great defense. And uh, it, has there been a player that's verbally committed to defensive tackle? I don't think there is. No, no. I mean, people expected Ellis McCarthy to, and uh, he was actually, you know, according to Gerard, a silent commit at one point. Uh, Aziz Shutu did take a visit to USC. We're you know kind of waiting to see about him. He's going to wait all the way up until signing day. So we, I got you know he's a five star kid. It'd be great to get um, for the pro. You know have have him come into the program. But as of now, there's no defensive tackles there. No, and, and McCarthy wouldn't have helped him next next year. I mean I've said that all along. Nothing against the kid or anything, but I just think that you know he looks uh, looks for the lookout block, and, and which what that means is you got to finish the play and. He's a big kid. He's physically the most impressive-looking kid that was at uh, the All-Star game, the Army-Navy game, and these different games. Well, physically, he looks like he should be in the NFL. But, you know, big body, and you have to grow into it and so on. Eventually, he may be a great player. But uh, it takes time to do that, and you have to compete, and you have to be uh, beat up on a little bit to find out if you're going to fight back you know you want guys that have nitro in their veins not regular gas so uh, uh he wouldn't have been able to play next year for usc that's what i'm saying down the line he could be a great player all right uh well thanks for that one let's see let's go to um okay we have a question and i guess the big news coming out of yesterday we'll talk with dan weber about it a little bit as well but um Jim in Randolph, Texas, Jim Randolph, I'm sorry, in Dallas, Texas, wanted to know uh, a lot about Oregon. And I don't know if you heard about the Chip Kelly situation where it seemed like last night he was leaving and then, or yesterday he was leaving and then as of last night it looks like he's staying. But Jim had some interesting points here. He said, it seems that the Will Lyle street agent related NCAA investigation may be driving some recent moves. Uh, by the the Oregon Ducks. Lyle's primary recruits from Texas have moved on in the past six months. C-Strunk, 
transferred to Baylor. Uh, LaMichael James declared early for the NFL draft. Uh, Darren Thomas is leaving early uh, for the NFL draft. And then at the time when uh, Jim wrote this, it says Chip Kelly moving on to the NFL Tampa Bay Bucks after three successful seasons. Obviously, he's staying right now. But he said possibly ahead of sanctions. He's like, when there's smoke. And uh, he's like, any confirmation of these moves can be linked to NCAA inquiries on the West Coast. And I guess maybe just get your thoughts on all that, that Dan. It did seem like there was a... You know, so a bunch of people leaving, and these sanctions are still looming. Not really sure what's going to happen there. Well, last Sunday, when Darren Thomas, uh, two Sundays ago, uh, mentioned uh, and declared he was going out, I, I said the same thing. I said, uh, I think the posse has arrived in Eugene. Uh, uh, because when you have unexpected things happening, you start to wonder what's going on. And uh, as you mentioned, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, that just shocked me because, uh, you know, it's, what, a week before signing date. I mean, this is not when you want to put uh, players uh, wondering what is going on. I mean, uh, am I going to be playing for Coach Kelly? Is Are they going to be on probation? Uh, Darren Thomas is leaving. Coach Kelly is talking about leaving. So it's not real good timing. But the, the NCAA always does things like that. They don't want you to... Uh, have good recruiting years or in a way, you know, have kids come there misled and all of a sudden uh, the kids come there and the coach isn't there anymore. You know, you've seen the same pattern at USC with Pete Carroll. You've seen it now at Ohio State with Jim Tressel. As far as schools trying to uh, do their own police work so that they can demonstrate to the NCAA that look what we've done. We've declared five players ineligible for three games we made a coaching change. Uh, we're putting ourselves on, uh, you know, probation for two years. We're cutting three scholarships. You know, the same format that Ohio State did, and it worked. Actually, worked for that school. So, you know, people learn from what's going on. But, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay situation with Coach Kelly, uh, I just couldn't believe that because normally you go somewhere where you have a chance to win. Because today. Today, they don't give you five years to win anymore in the NFL. You've got to go win now. You've got maybe two years. Look, Jim Moore got one year in Atlanta. Some coaches are getting two years now in the NFL. I don't think that was the right fit for him. It surprised me. Uh, I'm not saying it still won't happen. He's declined now or said that he's not going, but maybe he'll go to the Raiders or maybe he'll go somewhere else. If if Phil Knight and the University of Oregon thinks it's best for the program, if there is smoke and fire, Kelly will be gone. That's just something that is a pattern today. I hate to say that. He's done a great job. You're only as good as your last game. And uh, uh, I hope that's not the case, only because I hate to see people be forced out in that manner. But, uh, you know... Oregon didn't come running to USC's defense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't come running and say, wait a minute, this can't happen. They were up there talking, and the Anthony Thomas and these players were going up there because everything was so clean and nice. Now maybe uh, SC should sit back and say, well, maybe they should get what we got and see what they think. And I'm anxious to see what Larry Scott does during this period of time, because Larry certainly didn't come to USC's defense. And I just wonder what his thoughts might be as far as 
in the Oregon situation, because it hasn't been solved. It hasn't been completed. And people are waiting to see just what's going to happen. They all have their own opinions, but let's see what's going to happen. And it's not a program. I think Larry Scott would come to Oregon's defense, and it's almost like just being the, the biggest bully on the block. But was it that other programs were sick of USC going to seven straight BCS bowl games? You know, that's probably all part of it. But USC and many national writers talked about this. One of the only programs in the country that could really survive the kind of sanctions, the harsh and you know debilitating sanctions that were, were handed down, you know, finished number six in the AP poll, go 10 and two, probably be number one, two or three in the country going in next year with scholarships down and still going to bring in four and five star guys. You do that the same kind of thing to an Oregon program. They're gr- obviously it's a great football program, but I don't think they could withstand the kind of sanctions and uh, you know what that does to a program. They haven't, they don't have the the built-in recruiting uh, boost by putting all these guys in the NFL. I mean, that's something that you you can do at USC. So even if you have fewer players, the guys that are going still know they have a really good shot at going to the NFL. I can't really say that as much you know, about Oregon. I, I think it would be tougher for an Oregon to survive those kind of penalties. And I do think Larry Scott in the Pac-12 conference would probably come to their rescue even more, maybe with hindsight from what happened with USC not doing enough, but also knowing that they couldn't afford to lose a program like that, thinking that USC can survive, maybe an Oregon couldn't. Brian, you're right on, buddy. You're right on, exactly, because, uh, you know, they don't want SC coming back immediately and being uh, another dominant force, but that might happen. Uh, Stanford is certainly having a great recruiting year so far as far as verbal commits are concerned, so is Cal. Washington, how can Washington put any more money in their football program than what they're doing? Yeah. They're paying off the past defensive staff, and they're bringing everybody in and paying them great money. So Washington's serious about winning and getting it done up out up there. So uh, And look at the changes in the coaches in the Pac-12. Wow, great coaches. UCLA's having a damn good recruiting year as far as regarding the short period of time, and I think he got himself a good group of recruiters, so things are going to be interesting at UCLA. I think it's exciting. But this was the whole purpose, I think, of what the uh, thought was as far as the thought process, as far as the dominance of USC, slowing him down. It wasn't what it should be, competitive. SC's having too many first-round draft choices, and it would have continued. So uh, I think the NCAA felt that, you know, they'll find out a way to get it done. And you know what? USC has found out a way to get it done, and next year they're going to have to cope with the Trojans. Uh, they'll be on every front page of every publication, which, which will turn all their stomachs because the, the, the program will survive and uh, will, uh, you know, take some hits uh, along the way, but uh, they will find a way to win. Um, you mentioned the coaching changes. That actually was our next question. We have a voicemail question here. Uh, this is from Tom, and it, it does talk about those coaching changes. Hello, this is Tom from Arkansas. I read where five Pac-12 schools have major coaching changes this year, and just wondering what all is happening. I see that Washington either hired or stole three coaches from Cal. What's going on at Cal? Uh, how come they're losing so many coaches? Uh, just wondering, you know, whose stock is going up, whose is going down. And with the addition of two spread offense coaches, head coaches coming to the Pac-12, 
what are Pac-12 defensive coordinators thinking? Uh, are they having? We already have Oregon. Are they going to have to start recruiting totally different players now with all these spread offense in the league? Uh, just wondering uh, how Coach Hyde would handle that. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, thank you very much for uh, checking in with us. The first thing I would do is you've got to make sure you understand how to defend these type of offenses. And I think last year uh, Monty Kiffin uh, made some changes to uh, find out that you have to match speed with speed. And the only way you can stop fast offenses is to have fast defensive players. And it is a trend not only in the Pac-12 but all over the country to add an additional athlete in the backfield and that's the quarterbacks that currently are the guys, Cam Newtons, these type of players, R. Griffin the third, these type, these type of players that are making offenses so explosive. And, uh, yes, it does uh, cause a problem as far as the, to the defensive side of the football. You're going to see more offensive scoring. You're going to see uh, teams now trying to run the same type of offense to match the points that are being scored by your opponent. Uh, you take the University of Washington. They just lost their offensive coordinator to Alabama. You ask, why would he go to Alabama? Well, probably at, at Washington, he was making 650, maybe seven. At Alabama, I'd say he's making 1.2, 1.3 million, and the cost of living down there is probably half as much, plus all the fringes that go along with it and the opportunity of getting a head football coaching job down the road. Now, the same thing happened to Cal. Uh, Cal's uh, uh, staff members who went to the University of Washington, uh, not only is the University of Washington paying off 650 a year to Coach Holt, who was the defensive coordinator, and he's gone. You take the defensive line coach that went up there, and I can't pronounce his name. What is it, Ryan? Uh, uh, Josh Lupoit. Yeah, the one went up. It was making, I believe, 175 at Cal, and the number I've heard is 500 at Washington. The same with the other coaches. So, you know, when you have that opportunity of moving from one Pac-12 uh, program to another, and they're willing to triple your salary or come close to that, well, you've got to think of it. Hey, every year I coach, that's three years of coaching of where I'm at, and also the University of Washington is is trying to develop their program with the improvements in their stadium. As Cal is doing the same, don't get me wrong, SC's doing the same now with uh, the Coliseum when they take that over. Everything now, the Pac-12 is becoming a football conference. It really is. Everyone's making that move. Washington State, Mike Leach, I'll tell you, Mike Leach doesn't need a lot of players to score a lot of points. He's going to throw the ball 70 times a game, get some skilled players, and you never know what he's going to do. You've got Sarkeesian at Washington. You've got Oregon with Kelly, Oregon State with uh, Riley. You've got uh, now Stanford with uh, Shaw, and you've got Tedford at Cal, all having both great recruiting years. Jim Moore now at, at UCLA, who put together a great staff of guys that know the streets and guys that can walk into high school and give a hug to the coach and get that extra help, which was smart by Jim Mora. And then you've got the Arizona schools with uh, Rich Rodriguez, who uh, has brought in all of his coaches, most of the coaches he had with him at West Virginia, who can get out and, and coach, and he's having a good recruiting year so far. And then 
Todd Graham, who's had a winning op- winning history at Pulsa, uh, Pitt, and now at Arizona State. I'm not quite sure just how his recruiting is going. He's the biggest question mark to me since I don't know of, of him and know much about him. But, yeah, the Pac-12 has become real serious. And why have they and how have they become serious? They got money. Because of the TV now contracts they have put together, they've got money to compete and not stand back and watch everybody else doing what they should have been doing and will want to do now with the new stadiums at SC and the money and so on that's going on. So, yeah, the Pac-12 is going to become – in fact, in my final 10 poll, which I haven't done to you guys, I've got for you guys, because I write a column and I do other radio shows, I have three Southeastern Conference teams in my top 10, and you know what? I have three Pac-12 teams. This is for 2011 in my top 10. That's right. I thought if SC could have gone to a bowl game, I had SC fourth. SC could have beat any team at the end of the year the way they were playing in the country, okay, on a neutral field. Stanford proved they could play, could have beaten Oklahoma State and should have, and they could have played on any field in the country against anybody. And the same thing with Oregon. They proved that in the Rose Bowl. So the others are on the move. So the Pac-12 is going to be a very competitive conference. And if you look at the recruiting that's going on right now, and Ryan, you're involved in that. Most of all the schools in the Pac-12 are having banner years. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I mean, actually, Oregon wasn't having the greatest year, which was kind of interesting with some of the turmoil going on. But, yeah, there's been a lot of great recruiting classes. Cal's got a good jump at the Army All-American Bowl and then kind of came back a little bit by, uh, you know, with the coaching changes and stuff. But Washington's doing well. Uh, UCLA's doing better. So definitely there's some – and, you know, I think uh, Mike Leach up in uh, Palouse, he's doing well. So, yeah, there's definitely some, some, up, some upbeat uh, recruiting coaches here in the Pac-12 now. I agree with you. And players make teams. The best way to get to become a great player or be a great coach is have great players and a great staff. And then you got a chance. You don't have great players, I don't care what type of coach you are, you're not going to win. Because you've got to respect your opponents and respect the other coaches you're going to play and say they're equal to me. So the only way I'm going to be better than them is have better players. And that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Coach. We'll see what go, what's going on there. And it, it's funny that USC has had no coaching changes <laughs> Excuse me, in the offseason where all these other schools have. So it's been a steady go at it, I guess, for USC, having your quarterback come back, having your you know all-star safety come back, and then having the coaching staff stay the same. So it'll be interesting to see what Lane Kiffin can put together for next year. The like, expectations are certainly going to be high. Um, one last question, Coach, is from Fast Eddie. And it's an interesting one. It's kind of off topic, but he wants to know, he's a lifelong USC fan and he's struggling with an issue about a lot of USC fans are struggling with. He loved Reggie Bush when he played at USC, everything he did during that great run, but he's suffering to get over the situation with him and his family that they put USC in with the NCAA probations and all that. He's like, I have a passion for USC football, but it's hard not to have anger towards Reggie Bush. Do you think USC fans should forgive him and act like it what happened with him and his family never happened. He has a lot of Reggie memorabilia at his house. It's hard not to want to throw it away some days when the football players are suffering and haven't done anything but acted out with class during this whole situation. What should he do? What What do you feel like what's going on with USC fans and how they should feel towards Reggie Bush? 
Well, the first thing you have to do is you got to look at all the positive things that happened during Reggie Bush's uh, era there. Tremendous kid as far as uh, representing USC, great uh, athletic ability, great victories, great, great things happened during that era. But I think the best way to explain it, I was asked to explain Joe Paterno's, uh, Paterno's uh, career, is, is explain it both the same way. Both of them did magnificent things for the university, for themselves, for the football program, and so on. But look at it as a movie. Let's say a movie was made on each one of their lives. When you walk out of a theater, you always think of the ending. What was the ending? And you talk about the ending of the movie. The movie was great, but the end of the movie was not what you expected it to be, and it wasn't positive, and you went home and you talked about it, and why did it end like that? shouldn't have ended like that. And that's what has happened with Joe Paterno and his situation at Penn State, and also with Reggie Bush. He had great days, great years, both guys did. But the end of the movie is negative. The end of the movie is blah. It came out like, Terrible. Both teams, both schools being punished. So the way you got to look at it is the good things he did, the bad things he did. Uh, there's nothing that can be changed. It's in the record books, it's history. Should you dislike him? I don't know. Can you blame him personally? I don't think so. Did he know what was going on? Probably. Did he, could he have stopped it? Probably not, because I think it was done with him knowing it. But I think they went ahead and did it anyway. So was there any proof it happened? I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, that's the way I can best describe it. Uh, if I saw Reggie, would I talk to him? Absolutely. Would I hold it against him? Uh, sort of, but not really. I think kids are subject to a lot of things we don't know on the outside, away from the game. And was it all his fault? No. Was some of it his fault? Yes. Should the university have been published or punished for it as severely as what they were? Absolutely not. Should have Mike Garrett and everybody known that was going on? Absolutely not. Tell me how you know those things. So that's where you got to look at it. There isn't really one sure answer to it, and I hate to be evasive for, for it, but that's the way I'd like to explain it. All right. Well, Coach, we appreciate that, and we appreciate you uh, coming on the show, as always, and, and sharing your insights. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I know counting down towards signing day should be a fun show next week. We'll probably talk a little bit more recruiting on this show, and, of course, we got Gerard Martinez coming up tomorrow with the Trojan Blast, so we already have tons of recruiting questions so we're going to try to get to every one of them and don't forget on the Peristyle podcast page please leave us a, a little voicemail question there you can click on the left side of the page that'd be fun to do we'll have the trojan blast coming up tomorrow and we have on wednesday randall telfer usc sophomore tight end he's going to come on our live Ustream show we'll broadcast that from mckay's at 8 p.m we'll put a link up on uscfootball.com but if you're around at 8 p.m pacific time and want to Watch the show live. You can ask Randall questions live and type it right into the chat room, and we'll ask the questions, and he can answer you right there. So it's a lot of fun. He should be a, a good guy. Seeing all the, the 
tight ends doing well in the NFL, Coach, it could be a, a big year for USC tight ends next year. So it, sh- it should be fun to watch. It will be fun to watch. And that's exactly what Stanford did this year, as far as with their tight ends and so on. You put mismatches uh, up against uh, uh, defensive backs, and you see uh, not only Stanford doing it, you see it in the NFL now. Yeah. So you got to have the big receivers, but they give you an extra uh, look, too, on the running game. We outmatch the guys not only in the passing game, but also on the running game. But, Ryan, let's thank our sponsor. And I want to thank all of our listeners out there. Keep the questions coming, and have a great week. Yeah, thanks to SCTickets.com. And we'll be back in 30 seconds. Thank you, thanks to you, Coach, also as well. But we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have a special guest, Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, joining us on the show for the second segment. Dan wanted to talk a little basketball and, of course, a lot of USC football. We have some questions to get to, and I, I guess we'll start with basketball, Dan. It's just It doesn't seem to be getting any better watching that game on Saturday night. They looked like they couldn't score for a long time. They were turning the ball over. I mean, what is going on with this USC basketball team? 0-7, I believe it is, in the Pac-12 conference. Well, I think the, it was this I've always worried about is, uh, I mean, they started off the year, uh, and, and having gone to the, for example, uh, the San Diego game, uh, you know, uh, San Diego State, and they're playing over the sold-out down in San Diego, and, you know, Hold them to whatever it was, uh, you know, 58 points or something like that. And Steve Fisher says after the game, you know, this USC team plays the best defense we'll play all year. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, San Diego State's beating UNLV and, you know, had the, re- you know, the return of uh, a really good team with, uh, you know, three starters back. And the fear you had was they have to play so hard on defense and they're still not going to score enough points. Uh, and you wondered when is it going to kick in that they just don't keep playing defense the way they have been uh, because it almost doesn't matter because if you can't score the ball, you're still not going to win the game. And, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of depth. Um, and they certainly don't seem to have a lot of answers. They don't have – any movement on offense at all. And it's, it's not possible even to evaluate them on offense because they do so little. Um, you just, you know, you, you don't know what to think. But uh, but they certainly hit the wall, I think, as far as playing our defense all the way through. It just uh, it's too difficult. So, uh, you know, in, in what is a really bad Pac-12 this year, they are by far – you know, off to the worst start. It's, it's hard to even, you know, believe that they're they're where they are right now. But uh, uh, you can see how, you know, a team, you know, once they realize 
it almost doesn't matter what we do. We're not going to score enough points to win. Uh, even against a team like in a state, which is a bad team to begin with and suspends three players, two starters, comes in with only six scholarship players and still beats you. Um, I think, I don't know. You wouldn't ever want to predict that a team could go through and not win a, win a game in, the, in a conference, but, uh, man, they're off to a start where it looks like that's possible. Uh, they're not the same team they were. Uh, earlier in the year, uh, and uh, I mean, I, I guess that would be the most worrisome thing is that they're a young team, and they certainly have had injuries, but they're a young team that's getting any better, and they're not, you know, playing any harder, and they don't seem to have any issues at all. That can't be a good thing. No, and then I mean, a lot of talk on the peristyle lately about Kevin O'Neill. There's a lot of people that feel strongly he should not be the coach anymore. I mean, he had some off the field issues there was obviously the the season this year it's kind of the exact opposite of football dan you said it's not the same team they were at the beginning of the year the football team wasn't the same team at the end of the year that they were at the beginning of the year they were better and the basketball team it's, yeah, it's not, it's and not a better team. It. i mean you know people want to talk about you know usc's had uh, you know some of the vendors and said usc's had self-sanctions in basketball but Basically, the sanctions in baseball weren't anything compared to the ones in football. And look at how, you know, Kevin and company have kind of, you know, risen through the uh, ashes of self-sanctioning and, you know, scholarship limitations and, um, and and the kinds of, you know, transfers and all of that and, and just gotten, you know, figured it out and, and have a program that where they're, you know, playing harder and playing smarter and, being much more effective, and uh, you know, I think that's the thing that I'm objecting to a little bit last week, and in, in writing a column that where people were so easy excusing what was happening with basketball, uh, and I just don't think excuse it. That was, you know, this is the third year, and in basketball, you have a, a great deal of ability to change the look of the team, and you know, one recruiting class, and. Uh, and to end up with, uh, you know, a number of transfers. He played this year, and they have one injury, uh, and, and it was, you know, a significant thing to lose Gio Fontia, but to say, you know, you lose one player and now you can't play anymore uh, doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the way a USC team should be, you know, structured. Uh, and and for those who said, you know, USC was left, you know, uh, Tim Floyd left the covered there, I don't think that's the case at all. I think the first team he left here, even though they lost their best players uh, who all left early, they still had, I think, the most talent in the Pac-12 or 10 then two years ago. And, uh, you know, I thought last year's team was uh, as good as Nikola Vucevic turned out either to have been. Uh, they didn't have a depth. But, uh, uh, you know, they made the NCAA tournament, and they should have the NCAA tournament. They should have played better, and they should have had a better year than they did. Uh, this year, with Tim Floyd's players gone, I think we're seeing what's happening. And, uh, I, you know, I would have liked to have seen them do something sooner and have a little more control in terms of, you know, finding, you know, the person to build the program. Uh, and, uh, you know, having, giving us more time, uh, and, uh, you know, but 
we'll see uh, where this team fits in uh, basketball as far as uh, uh, USC uh, athletic department. How do they look at this program? But you would think that with the Galen Center there, prominent as that building is, and as much opportunity as there is right now in the Pac-12 to really make up some ground because of the fact that you know the talent has cycled out, and uh, there's such an opportunity. Uh, for a uh, Los Angeles team to to really be good and to really uh, you know take charge of the Pac-12 right now, uh, and to see that not happening, I think is 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 kind of a sad thing that uh, that opportunity is there, and uh, we're not seeing anything that you know shows that USC is ready to take advantage of it, even though they have to be significantly better next year. Uh, with the transfers coming in, the one junior college recruit, uh, they'll definitely be better. I mean, it, it would be a good job for who is coaching this team next year. Um, and then the other big news, we talked about it with Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment a little bit, but uh, it looked like yeah, Twitter's great. I know you have a Twitter account, Dan, but you're not on it all that much, but Twitter's funny and that you can see it on the message boards. Um, you know, Twitter said that Chip Kelly was leaving and he was going to go take the Bucks job. There was all these news going around. It was going all over the place and people are already talking about how USC can take advantage with recruits and what's going on. And it ends up, you know, late last night, I think the Oregonian like had a, a front page story ready to go. And it shows like they, someone, it was George, uh, I forget his last name. He tweeted it where they were ready to go. They had to stop the presses and put like source says Kelly's staying. And it looks like Chip Kelly is actually now staying at, at Oregon, what did you think of that whole kind of fiasco where it was leaving well, for a little while? Yeah, I, I, uh, um, I uh, my wife uh, Twitter's for me, uh, so, so I was all over that story. It, it, it's the kind of story where you're not surprised. A guy who, you know, evidently has said uh, he's really interested in someday going to the league. At first time, you get the chance, and I, it's, he's not the first one where this has happened to and you get all the way right up to the point where you're about to pull the trigger and you decide, man, I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty comfortable doing what I've come a long way in the last few years in Oregon. And that was my first opportunity. And it hits you that, you know, you will be, you know, the only guy in the NFL running that act. And, uh, you, you know, you won't be, you know, one of the things, Chip Kelly is he's as, he's as certain about what he's doing as anybody you've ever seen. And to take that to the NFL, I'd like to see somebody do it. I'd like to see the NFL. Uh, I can't imagine why some of the you know franchises that are really stuck at the bottom don't do something like that and don't make people play uh, you know prepare completely differently for your team. Now you'd have to structure it completely. Differently, you know, probably need to draft, uh, you know, four quarterbacks uh, who all could run the system. And uh, not that that would be hard because those quarterbacks aren't in, in you know, they're not in, in, they're not the guys that get drafted high. So I think you could put that kind of a team together. Uh, and I'd be able to see how it did. And I'm sure, you know, Chip Kelly's thinking the same way right up to the point where he can't quite pull the trigger now. Did uh, did someone step in? Some uh, you know, uh, Oregon sugar daddy, uh, and throw a lot of uh, a lot of additional cash because you know I mean it is hard for a college to match the um, the multi-year contracts of 
uh, you know, an NFL NFL team, although Tampa Bay isn't exactly under ownership, you know, uh, they don't exactly throw throw money around like some, you know, NFL teams. But uh, I'm kind of glad that he's going to stay. I mean, I think it would have been very difficult for Oregon if he left, certainly if he left now, like, you know, before signing day and all that. Uh, but I think USC needs him, needs Oregon to be good for USC to be as good as it can be next year and and, and going forward. Now, whether this means he's definitely not going to be around for the long haul, uh, one would think that might be the case. But uh, Oregon, you know, at least now will be in a better, better position to to replace him. They'll, you know, I, I would think they're going to know now, you know, uh, we better be ready and, you know, can we, you know, can we have our uh, all the groundwork done with Chris Peterson at the state or, you know, something like that? Or is Mike Bellotti getting, uh, you know, geared up to make his return to Oregon? I don't know. But uh, but I think, I, you know, I'd rather have him back and I'd rather have USC able to have him in the Coliseum and maybe playing twice next year. And I think that would be good for USC. You know, this year's game – at Oregon was one of the most important games that USC's ever played in, you know, it's, it's football history. And uh, I think you need you need rivals like that. All right. Well, let's get to some questions. Dan, we got a couple here. Here's a voicemail one uh, from all the way from New York City. Here you go. <laughs> hey, it's Mark hey. from New York City. My question is about expectations. Uh, since Kiffin took over and given the NCAA action and all the other noise around the program, the expectations haven't been that high going into each year. Um, now, next year, that's obviously going to change significantly with expectations being real high and people uh, expecting them to be good and a lot of focus on the program. So I'm wondering what adjustments they need to make, how you think they'll respond, or if there's things the coaches and the players uh, need to do or prepare in a different way and how you think they'll handle it for the coming year. Thanks a lot. Uh, love, love the podcast and the blast, and fight on. Well, uh, uh, New York City, I think, is, you know, anybody uh, uh, coming from New York City kind of, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, kind of this New York City axis, uh, we're probably fairly accustomed to hype and uh, and preparing for hype. The thing that Lane has done, and I think really uh, impressed with it uh, last year was, the emphasis and the buy-in that he's gotten from the kids on it's not about the hype, about the prep. And they definitely uh, were able to use that. Uh, once they all figured it out, they, they got into the Notre Dame week and then the Oregon week, and, and I think they really turned that to the point where uh, I think they did go to on what happened with uh, you know some of Pete's teams uh, when you look at uh, some of those losses where um, you know if you know they were Pete's teams were always able to show up for the big games that they knew were big, but when they you know had a week where they definitely did think they needed to show up, uh, sometimes they didn't, and I think Lane's ability to convince them how committed the preparation is with the game and how much not connected the whole 
stuff that's going on around it. I mean, I, they were, you know, in their own minds, just kind of making fun of the whole Notre Dame turning it into a Super Bowl week. And I thought they really went in there thinking, we have the advantage because all we've done is concentrate on our preparation for this game. We're doing nothing else. And I think that will, you know, carry through really well for this next year. It's the kind of just, you know, it stays with you. And it allows you to take them of the uh, whole idea of, uh, you know, national championship, or, you know, uh, BCS uh, bowl game and all that kind of thing. And all that long-range thinking, I think they've really uh, developed a formula for um, uh, staying in the moment this week's game, making it get all about, uh, you know, preparation and tying in the preparation to the game uh, really, really that well. I, I, would, I mean, I, we were, I think, almost amazed at how well uh, they were able to do that and how well this team picked up on exactly what they were doing. So I'm not sure they're going to have to change that much, uh, actually. And to be honest, I think there were in the team, among the players, among the coaches, and among some of us in the media, I don't think the expectations were all that low last year. I think maybe some of the fans kind of, you know, off the, the bandwagon a little bit in terms of expectations, but I don't, I don't think that was actually the case internally. Okay, well, thanks for that one. Uh, that was from Mark in New York City. Let's see, we'll, let's go to Dan and Tustin, class of 71. He says when he was at USC, O.J. Simpsons and Al Cowlings came together, came in together as J.C. transfers. His dorm roommate at the time was on the Daily Trojan staff and recall him telling him that O.J. was a receiver at junior college before he switched to running back. He wanted to know if you knew that was true. And then also he says George Farmer has similar physical attributes to O.J., height and weight, sprinter speed. Joe Robinson was enthusiastic about the prospect of Farmer playing running back, and obviously now he's switching back to receiver. Did, what about your thoughts on the comparison between the two? I do think that's correct. I think it was uh, City College, San Francisco, I believe, is where O.J. went to uh, junior college. And I do remember him uh, as more of a you know a receiver with, with a great deal of speed. Uh, and and I guess size size wise, when you say that, uh, you know, you're getting, you know, OJ. I guess was you know six one ish, uh, maybe a little somewhere in between six one, maybe six one and a half. Uh, and just weight wise, uh, fairly comparable. If George uh, would would you know end up where USC thinks he could end up, the thing about OJ, I thought, was. Uh, he had the running back um, frame. He had kind of a wide. He, it was almost as if it was like a Curtis McNeil kind of guy, only six foot one. Uh, he had his, uh, you know, well, uh, not exactly bow-legged, but, but kind of a, a wider base. George uh, Farmer doesn't have that kind of wide. He's more of a, a power straight ahead kind of a runner uh, that, that doesn't have that wider base that I thought really made OJ you know, an exceptional uh, athlete in terms of being able to, you know, go one way and then the other way, stop and golf and all that. And you don't necessarily see that with George, but so 
size-wise and speed, I guess, uh, you know, you think, you know, with, with, when that uh, team that AJ, that relay team broke the world record, at, that USC relay team, uh, those guys could, you know, were really, really, really fast. Is George as fast as AJ? I would say probably not quite. But uh, it's an interesting thought. Uh, interesting thought. It's one of the reasons I will say this. I was never as disturbed at all about the uh, the move from um, uh, wide receiver to to running back. But but it seemed like. Uh, George maybe wasn't as comfortable with uh, with that designation any, anyway. I think he's still going to do an awful lot of kind of combo hybrid type things. But uh, uh, an interesting interesting thought about uh, George and OJ. Um, might be onto something there, Dan. All right. Uh, that was Dave, actually. Thanks, Dave, for that one. Oh, Dave, I'm sorry. No, no worries. Um, here's a, Well, let's do another voicemail question. This is uh, has to do with... Are one of our favorite topics, the NCAA. Hey guys, love the show. I'm just calling. This is Kip from uh, Northern Virginia. Uh, I'm just calling uh, in regard to uh, Miami. When are their sanctions going to hit? I look in the uh, on the website and it says they have 30 scholarships. When are they going to be hit for what they did? I mean, what they did was much worse than what USC did, so I was just curious when they're, how they're getting 30 recruits and when their penalty is going to start showing. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the show. Talk to you later. Uh, my thought is that uh, uh, no one's going to get hit with 30 scholarships ever again. I mean, there's not nothing anyone can do. USC case was an aberration. They went after USC for their own reasons. They all had individually and collectively, and they had to take USC down, and they did. And um, the, uh, you know, I uh, I think there were more reasons than we'll ever even know as to why USC got taken down. I think uh, their uh, the NCAA's obsession with USC I think is made even more clear this past week when they uh, came up with this group of the new uh, ways they were going to penalize people. And now, of course, after being rules last year, new bylaws that there are no precedents and you can't get a case with any other case. Now, they uh, just months later, they're passing uh, you know, this new uh, penalty structure that uh, they want to be very specific in terms of how uh, the penalties connect to the things, and they're getting real tough again. You know, lots of tough talk. And what do they, uh, what do they say? The uh, uh, unbelievably uh, over her head NCA director of enforcement says that uh, in a story that our Brian Fisher did. I, I couldn't tell if our, our former USC Hall. Dot com writer Brian Fisher was actually serious, or was he writing it with his tongue in cheek uh, when he quoted her as saying that under the new penalty structure, USC would have been hit even harder penalty wise. And of course, not with the knowledge that no one else in the world will ever receive those kinds of penalties. And the difference is, USC's uh, employing a, a friend of Pete's to look at video. Uh, was regarded as something that would add to lack of institutional control and was a serious Tier 1 violation, whereas Ohio State, with the head coach 
covering up for and and playing ineligible players multiple times was not considered a lack of institutional control. Uh, so they're totally untrustworthy, totally not to be believed, totally not to be you know, totally not to be given any serious thought because uh, they're going to do what they want to do when they want to do it, and by the time they get to the Miami case, they're going to just say, oh, they've penalized enough the embarrassment of having, you know, a booster do that to, uh, you know, Miami and the athletic department and all that. That was just, that was penalty enough. So we think they've been hurt enough, so we don't need this to Miami. So I think uh, never again should anybody worry probably about comparing USC penalties to any other penalties. They're going to be comparable. The NCAs uh, going to cover them up in ways, and they're going to obfuscate. They're going to have this language like uh, that they're doing something and they're not doing anything. And uh, we may never know why the NCAA felt like they had to do what it did to USC, but uh, they know what they did. Those people on that committee know they were totally out of line probably, uh, you know, should be in court having to defend actions uh, personally. I'm not sure that the NCA you ever want to take them to court, but, boy, you'd sure like to see them take, you know, some people take some of the people in the um, Committee on Infractions, uh, you know, so that they have to explain uh, what they did to USC, you know, before court of law. But I don't guess that's ever going to happen, but... I would not hold my breath about the Miami sanctions. All right. And then we got one last one. This is from Lamar. He said he was really impressed with the play of cornerback Anthony Brown before he got injured. Hadn't heard anything about his recovery rehab. Is he expected to have a full recovery? Do you know when he's expected back? Is he a medical red shirt? Can you reiterate what the extent of the injury was? And then one other thing on Josh Shaw. Um, Does he have to sit out a year? That's uh, from Lamar. Well, I think to take the one first, uh, you know, it, it's up to the NCAA to decide whether I uh, gets a hardship uh, transfer or not. My guess would be uh, NCAA plus USC equals no. Uh, you know, Alex Stevenson, uh, I think, uh, in basketball when he came from North Carolina and had a family situation that required him to be back in Los Angeles. Uh, they didn't allow him to have uh, a hardship. So my guess would be, uh, if I just had to guess, um, they won't they won't give him one because, uh, you know, it, it would be in terms of giving in the USC. And uh, I think the NCAA, you know, they'll, they'll give in to Ohio State, they'll give in to Auburn, they'll give in to people like that, but uh, uh, USC, yep, can't give in to USC. So anyway, I would say probably not. Anthony Brown, uh, what's interesting, uh, in talking to uh, Abe Berkowitz, uh, who was uh, cleared 100% uh, uh, about 10 days ago uh, after his surgery, his foot surgery, uh, he still hadn't gotten outside with the group uh well, there's actually two i guess uh, winter workout groups that you know work outside and inside uh when they find the weightlifting with the conditioning and uh 
he was telling me the other day that uh, there are about as many guys, some 30-plus guys, we're still on the rehab group. Uh, all the guys have had surgery, all the guys that are, you know, working their way back slowly and all that. And, and you know, uh, having been outside the one day, I don't think we saw Anthony, and, and I'm guessing uh, he hasn't uh, either hasn't been cleared or uh, isn't, you know, yet working outside because uh, if Anthony's there, you will notice me. Anthony was probably one of the, absolute leaders last year uh, of uh, all the you know off-season workouts winter and uh, in the summer and uh, as soon as he's back we'll we'll notice that will be one of the first things I think we'll be looking for because uh, we're allowed to be at the winter uh, workouts uh, in terms of the throwing part the voluntary throwing part and uh uh, you may be able to hear him uh, uh, from wherever you are uh, if Anthony's out on the field because he was uh, he was the life of, uh, of the winter workouts last year. I thought he he really contributed a great deal to the uh, the way that team came back and the way they uh, you know pushed pushed themselves really hard. So uh, it's a good question and we'll be to to see how he is doing. Uh, I, I'm not anticipating that he's going to need medical. Uh, you know, red shirt. Uh, I, I certainly, I think he and they were anticipating that he'll, you know, he'll be back and, and ready to go for next year. But, uh, but that's one of the things we'll be looking. At, you know. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for sharing all your insights. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Ryan. See. You. All right, everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in. Sorry, I know there were some. We had some sketchy audio with Dan's phone call and little parts, so we do apologize for that. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow on the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have the Trojan Blast talking about recruiting with Gerard Martinez as we count down towards signing day. And then on Wednesday, 8 p.m., our live Ustream show, we have USC tight end Randall Telfer. He'll be our guest. So it's 8 p.m. Hopefully you'll be home from work and can check out the show 8 p.m. Pacific. And you can ask Randall questions, so we'd love you to watch the show live. Type in the chat room, get some questions for him. But anyway, thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you all tomorrow on the Trojan Blast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.